Church Life Today is a production of Spoke Street Media and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and our listeners. In countries with underfunded health systems, surgical care is often ignored and widely inaccessible to the poor. Local facilities lack appropriate supplies and equipment. Medical professionals do not have the benefit of training in the latest techniques, and few can afford the high cost of surgery. One organization responding to this gap in healthcare is One World Surgery. Focusing heavily on forming local partnerships and capacity building, One World Surgery has established a surgery center in Honduras and is developing one in the Dominican Republic. In Honduras, the Honduran staff leads the surgery center that serves patients on a daily basis, while volunteers and medical missionaries provide additional personnel support, education, and an extension into specialty services. Through its partnership with local health professionals and working in tandem with the local healthcare system, One World Surgery seeks to provide world class surgical care and strengthen primary care for underserved communities. My guest today is Senior Director of Programs and Operations for One World Surgery. Kate Clitheroe graduated from the University of Notre Dame with a bachelor's degree in sociology and pre-med before completing a master's degree in public health from Washington University in St. Louis. She has served in healthcare in Honduras for several organizations and has been with One World Surgery for the past six years, both in Honduras and in the United States. I first came to know Kate when she served as a mentor in faith in our Notre Dame Vision program while she was an undergrad, after she attended that program as a high school student herself. She joins me to talk about her work, the impact of One World Surgery, and what it means to live solidarity in action. As for me, I'm Leonard DiLorenzo. This is Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life and the Spoke Street Media Network. I'm glad you're here. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Kate, since you graduated from college, which now was just over 10 years ago, you've spent about half of the past decade serving the medical needs of people in Honduras. And that began almost immediately after your college graduation. So I want to just start by asking you, what drew you to this work specifically in Honduras? Great, great question. Has it been <laughs> 10 years? My goodness. I think so. Yeah, it was really kind of serendipitous how it all happened because my intention was not to spend that much time in Honduras. And actually, when I first got involved, I didn't even know where Honduras was, admittedly. Geography was not my strong suit. So I was... <laughs> How it actually happened was I really wanted to do a gap year. I just wanted to do one year. I wanted to learn Spanish. I wanted to go, you know, go somewhere where I could, you know, help. I was also one of those who thought I could change the world at the time. That was also the plan, which of course, when you're you're young and coming right out of undergrad is is something that's top of the agenda. <laughs> change the world so, in a year, hopefully, right? And oh, then yeah, move on to was, other things. Yeah. Right. Uh, absolutely. I was ready to make a wild impact in that first year. Mm -hmm. So fortunately got connected with a colleague at my undergrad, Notre Dame, 
whose family had started a surgery center down in Honduras. And again, he sat me down and said, Hey, we could really use your help. You know, could you go down and do this for a year? It's in Honduras. I said, where's Honduras? <laughs> you know, where is that? And, and off we go. So really it was just an introduction from this person, Michael Daly, and signed up, went down and started my volunteer year and very quickly learned that as a recent grad, you know, we're not quite there with the skill set that's needed to, to change the world. There's a lot more, <laughs> more that you need to, to figure out before you can really start making a difference. So the first year was pretty exploratory. I learned a lot. I learned that I had a lot more to learn. And so I actually went back to graduate school after that, but my heart was in Honduras. So once I got done with graduate school, I, I headed straight back to Honduras and kept working. So that's, that's how it kind of yeah. got started. What captured your heart about Honduras to the people? Oh man, it is an absolutely gorgeous country. For those who have heard about Honduras, it's, it's really unfortunate because they get a lot of bad press. There's a lot of political corruption. There's a lot of gang violence and other issues going on in the country. But I like to say that a couple kind of rotten apples give the country a really bad name because it's actually a really wonderful country. A lot of great people, really, really hardworking. I will never say that I'm Honduran, but I will say that my Honduran colleagues are now calling me Catracha, which is the nickname for somebody who's <laughs> from Honduras. But just a ton more to learn there about the culture. But it's just, yeah, it's one of those things that once you dive in and you spend enough time in one place, it, it just becomes home. Mm -hmm. So after after probably about six months, I was already hooked. And so when I hit the 12 month mark and had to leave, I, I knew I was coming back. Yeah. How did you kind of chart this course into medical work in the first place? So I think you studied pre-med as an undergraduate, if I remember correctly, and then you went on it was master's in public health. But what was it about the medical profession, the medical field that drew you to wanting to be a part of that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think that too often we tell our young people that they have to be a doctor or a nurse, mm -hmm. and that's how you get involved in healthcare. And that was my original intent. I thought that I wanted to be a doctor and I wanted to go to medical school. But thank goodness I heard about public health, the work that's done by nonprofits. And I started to think, oh, there's something else that I could be doing. And I won't be in a consult room all day. I was I started to get worried that I was going to get a little claustrophobic in a consult room. <laughs> for those, for those who know me, I'm pretty bold, outgoing. I like to do bigger projects. I like to do community change, you know, development work. And so once I heard about public health. And I got down to Honduras and really saw that there was an opportunity more on the administrative side to get, you know, get the program organized. It was pretty solid that I didn't need to go to med school. And that, in fact, I could do public health and do this other career that really just fit better with my skill set. So yeah. originally wanted to be a doctor, but that that changed pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, your organization, One World Surgery, from what I understand, the founding of the organization itself began maybe in not too different of a way than how you became attached to Honduras and to the people. It was from being there and from encounters. And from what I know, it was One World Surgery was started by a family responding to the need of one particular young person and everything kind of moved from there. Can you tell us a little bit about the founding of One World Surgery? And then maybe I'll ask you after, you know, bring us up to date. What does it do now? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start from a very strengths-based perspective and just say that Honduras does a very good job with a lot of primary care work that's done out in the communities. The healthcare workers that they have in rural Honduras doing really great work is important to, to recognize 
I'll add on to that by saying that the healthcare system's underfunded. Mm -hmm. And so underfunded healthcare systems don't have what they need to provide specialty care and surgical care. So when our when our founders got involved, it started exactly as you said, they just they had a trip planned down to Honduras and actually it was down to Mexico was their first trip. They went to a home for children in Mexico run by an organization called Nuestros Pequeños Hermanos. It's a Catholic-based organization, does really great work. And they fell in love with the organization, but they saw that surgical need. They saw the specialty gap, again, in Mexico at the time. But then they were pulled over to Honduras by one of the founders of NPH. He said, hey, you know, I know you're in love with our, our home in Mexico, but we could actually use your, your help over in Honduras. They went to the site in Honduras and, and they met a child who needed surgical care. And the founder of the NPH home said, well, can you just do the surgery here on site? We have this trailer, essentially, that we can use as an operating room. And our founder, Dr. Daly, who's an orthopedic surgeon, he said, no, <laughs> this is a pretty major operation. Her knees were essentially bent outwards instead of straight. And so it started just getting to know an organization in Mexico that flowed over into Honduras and then getting to know one child and her story and bringing her back to Minnesota to take care of the surgery that she needed. And then the biggest moment, and this is the, this is the best part of the story, when they brought this child back to Honduras, her name's Angela, she turned to them, she turned to our founders and she didn't say, can you bring me back to, to Minnesota? You know, can we go back there? She said, can you stay with me? Can you stay with me? Can you do something here with my country, with my people? Is there some opportunity? I mean, and this is a this is a child who yeah. said this. And, yeah. and that was the moment where our founder said, okay, we've got to do something. If she's in this situation that, you know, so obviously needs surgical attention and didn't get attention, there've got to be thousands more. And turns out there are, there are many, many thousands of patients that need the care. So they built the surgery center, started small. We now have three operating rooms. It's a really wonderful facility. We had no staff members when I went down to help with the project. We now have 40 Honduran staff members who run that facility, including our orthopedic surgeon, our clinical staff, our admin staff. And it's really just grown into just a beautiful project. So yeah, it started with one child just saying, hey, can you stay? This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on the Spoke Street Media Network. I'm joined today by Kate Clithrow, Senior Director of Program and Operation for One World Surgery which provides world-class surgical and primary care to underserved communities. Their work is presently focused mostly in Honduras and the Dominican Republic. So this surgery center that was founded in response to this invitation to stay with me, as you said, that this young person, Angela, gave to, to your founders, Dr. Daly and his wife, this surgery center has become the Holy Family Surgery Center in Honduras, correct? What kind of difference does this surgery center make for the communities that it serves there in Honduras. As you said, one of the strengths of Honduran medical care is in primary care, but the specialty gap, as you put it, was in these surgical services where you need special, not just expertise, but facilities in order to provide this kind of care. So what kind of difference, what kind of impact is this surgery center making for the communities? Yeah, great, great question. I would say that most of our patients are coming to us because the public system where they went to get surgical care didn't have the resources um, mm -hmm. to be able to provide that care. And so most patients are coming to us because maybe they got into some sort of vehicle accident, um, you know, and they're, they're past that original trauma, they're stable. But when they went to the hospital to get that bone repaired, to get that plate fixed so that they could, they could walk again, the hospital said, you need to go buy this plate. You need to go buy this screw, you know, go grab a bag of IV fluid, wow. grab some tubing and come back when you have what you need. 
So that's really the core of it is that we're able to take care of conditions that need surgical care and to do that in a way with not only just the basic resources, but really high quality implants, um, supplies, you know, tools, equipment, everything that we need to provide that care safely. So we're able to provide a solution. But then I think probably what I'm even more excited about is that we partner with the local medical community. So we have, as I mentioned, 40 Honduran staff members who are working at our facility. So it's not just about folks from the U.S. coming in and doing surgery, which is we certainly do have volunteers from the U.S. Mm-hmm. come and help, but it's about partnering with that with that local team. So we've actually just launched a fellowship program, which is so exciting, but we have a Honduran, two Honduran orthopedic fellows who have joined our team and they're spending a year with us to learn how can they improve their skills, new technology from the U.S. that maybe they hadn't used before really just to deepen everything that they received in their Honduran training to be able to care for more patients beyond our facility. So that that impact that kind of ripples out, I think is going to be pretty big for us. So Yeah, I was going to ask you about the relationship between One World Surgery and the local medical communities, the, the medical infrastructure of Honduras, and the especially the doctors and nurses that are serving the people on a more regular basis there in an ongoing way. What has that relationship been like and how has it changed or grown over these last couple decades? Yeah, we have a pretty strong connection with the Honduran orthopedic community. We're building those connections within other specialties, but the way it looks right now is very qualified medical professionals working in the public system will actually refer patients to us just saying, hey, you know, this is a particular case where the patient doesn't have the resources and, you know, they could really use this care, you know, can you guys help? Mm -hmm. So we actually act sort of as a referral center and it looks a little bit like a safety net type program. So if the public system can't take care of a patient and they can't afford the private system, they get referred over to us. So we work very closely with the ministry of health everything we do is of course approved and I's dotted T's crossed that there's, you know, no issues there. We work closely, like I said, with the orthopedic community and accept their referrals. And in a worst case, you know, we're not perfect and we're not a hospital. Mm -hmm. So occasionally, once or twice a year, we actually have to transfer a patient over to the hospital because something, you know, something went wrong, which is completely comparable to the United States. This does happen. And they take our patients and they'll take care of them so that we can we can get through that. But it's it's a very reciprocal relationship, I'd say. That's awesome. Now, you you also run medical missions for especially, I think, doctors, nurses, other medical professionals from the United States, maybe elsewhere, to Honduras and now to the Dominican Republic. For those who are not familiar with what a medical mission is, can you give us sort of the overview of what would be involved? What are people doing? And who are the kind of people that are signing up for this? Yes. My goodness, we are actually going to be at 50 medical missions this year, which is unbelievable because when I started um, in 2011, we did four. <laughs> so, so 50 different missions, not 50 missionaries, 50 missions, different 50 trips. missions, yeah. yep. 50 wow. individual trips. So we've grown exponentially in the last 10 years. And I'll start by saying that, of course, our local team does fantastic work. They see patients when those medical missions are not in Honduras, the Dominican Republic. But what's great about the missions is it gives an opportunity for a group of medical professionals who wants to give, who wants to help, who wants to serve, to come down to Honduras, the Dominican, and to just accelerate the care that we provide. So on a normal week, you know, maybe we do 10, 15, 20 surgeries. During a medical mission, we can do 40, 50, Mm -hmm. 60. So we're able to increase our volumes. And then all those patients who are seen on that medical mission 
are then cared for by the local team to make sure that you know nothing went wrong. If there was an issue, we're able to resolve that. And we've been able to keep our, our complication rates very, very low because of that, because we're able to really watch those patients and take care of them. So the missions are great. It's a week commitment, Saturday to Saturday. The team flies down together on a Saturday. Orientation and preparation happens on Sunday. And then patient care takes place Monday through Friday. And then everybody goes home on, on Saturday. So it's a, it's a wild, <laughs> wild whirlwind, I would say. And there, again, there are 50 of those this year. So how many people tend to be on each of those trips? It really depends. We, our surgical missions are typically 45 is kind of the sweet spot. Mm -hmm. And there's a good divide between clinical and non-clinical. One of the things that was really important to our founders, the dailies was that families could get involved. So medical professionals can bring their spouses and their children to help. And this was something that was so important to them because they were involuntary with other organizations and the kids would kind of be like, either not invited or kind of put in a, put in a corner somewhere. But right. with our missions, we put them to work. So the spouses and children will help clean the center, take out the garbage, uh, turn over the operating rooms, you know, wash the instruments, whatever it takes to keep that mission running. Everybody gets put to work. So yeah, about 45 people for each of them. Some of them are a bit smaller. They're kind of nice when they're smaller, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, some of them will be 10 to 15 people. So. Okay. How do people find out about these? It's just word of mouth and yeah, we we partner with quite a few clinics, hospitals, and medical systems in the US. Mm -hmm. And they'll actually sort of adopt a mission and they'll say, Hey, this is our mission, and we're gonna get people signed up. But folks from the general public absolutely just jump on the website and you can find opportunities on the medical mission page and sign up. I will say on the logistics side, our team is very good at getting people signed up down to Honduras and Dominican and back home. <laughs> without a problem. No. Yeah. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on the Spoke Street Media Network. I'm joined today by Kate Clitheroe, Senior Director of Programs and Operations for One World Surgery, which provides world-class surgical and primary care to underserved communities, presently focusing mostly in Honduras and the Dominican Republic. So your work, as I've been mentioning, started in Honduras, but you have been growing especially towards the Dominican Republic. What is the move been like into a different setting, into a different country to continue this kind of work? Oh, it it has been an adventure. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you that. We're essentially trying to do what took 10 plus years in Honduras in a matter of just a few years. So we're trying to accelerate the whole process. And then the other piece of it that's a bit complicated is, of course, the dailies, when they got involved and started this, it was so organic. You know, again, it was one child saying, Hey, stay with me. Let's, you know, let's do this. And it built organically. And now we're trying to replicate that model in a very systematic way in, in the Dominican Republic. So it's been an adventure. I'd say the most exciting piece of it is that the Dominican medical community is ready to support this project and work alongside us. We've been making some phenomenal connections with folks on the ground that just say, Hey, this is exactly what we need. Similar to Honduras, very wonderful healthcare system in many, many ways. But when it comes to specialty care, and especially for underserved groups, in particular Haitian immigrants that have come over from Haiti to the Dominican Republic, there's a lot of need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of trying to do what we did in Honduras, but then realizing that obviously the Dominican is unique and we need to adapt. So it's it's been fun. Yeah. I suppose one thing I'd love to hear a little bit about is just over these past two plus years now, two years as COVID has complicated everything and thinking about your work in 
Honduras and now in the Dominican Republic, these medical missions that you're talking about, 50 of them going this year, but I imagine that was obstructed in the last couple of years too and thwarted. So what was the impact specifically of COVID on One World Surgery, on what you're doing on a regular basis, on people coming in or not? How did you respond to that and what's it look like now? Gosh, you know, I thought we'd get through an interview without mentioning uh, no, I have COVID, to. but <laughs> it's like it's in the contract of everything. It has you to do you it. have to ask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, in all reality, we were deeply impacted. I, I won't deny that. We shut down our operations in both countries. I will say, though, our local team has always continued to provide care in the interim. Mm -hmm. We weren't doing surgery, but we were able to do teleconsults with our patients and help them understand, you know, what COVID is, how to address it, how to manage the illness when they did get sick. And so we provided those services to our patients ongoing remotely. And then we also ran a quarantine center actually at the Home for Children where we're located. So they asked for our help and they said, you know, we really would like to kind of keep COVID out. So could could you help us run a quarantine center for any suspected cases and whatnot? So our team was still busy. We didn't have medical missions, of course, mm-hmm. for quite some time. But but that's the beauty of it. Um, Wonder World Surgery, because we have folks on the ground, we have qualified medical professionals, Hondurans and Dominicans alike, we're able to still do work even when those teams can't come down. So volumes went down quite a bit, but we kept seeing patients. And then by I think it was September of 2020, we actually opened the surgery center again. I cried when we did our first surgery because it had been however many years it felt like we were reopening the center because we were. It felt like it was our first surgery. So we we opened up again and our local team started seeing patients. And then the ramp in 2021, we actually exceeded our 2019 volumes. So we saw a lot of patients last year and we were able to do it safely. We were able to do it in a COVID, I was going to say COVID-friendly environment. <laughs> There's no COVID-friendly, COVID, yeah, right? COVID-not-friendly environment. Yeah. COVID-conscious COVID, way, correct. a COVID-defiant <laughs> yeah. way or defying COVID? Something exactly. like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Very impressed with how the team managed, yeah. for sure. You know, for the vast majority of us that haven't had the chance to be there on site in Honduras, the Dominican Republic, who don't see the kind of needs and opportunities that you have seen there on the ground, what is something that you would want us to know about, to think about if we haven't seen? Yeah, great question. I think I would go back to something I mentioned before that just don't believe everything you hear in the news. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of issues in Honduras and Dominican as well, but they're also very, very strong countries. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of really beautiful, great work going on. There's work that we can do in ways that we can help but doing that in a way that is in pure partnership with the local community is, mm-hmm. is the utmost important piece of all of this. It's not about deciding that we know the answers coming from the U.S. It's more about going down and asking how we can help. So that's how we've really structured our entire organization. So for those who want to get involved, you'll come down with a thought on, on what you might do and what the Honduran and Dominican people need. And you'll come down thinking that you might have those answers and, and believe me, you'll probably leave with a entirely different concept. So sim- similar to Kate as a recent undergrad, you know, going down <laughs> you thinking, yourself, yeah. thinking I'd save the world and I had all these big plans. Those plans were completely changed, changed my life certainly to get to work down there. So just, yeah, I would say know that you're needed and know that there's work to be done, but don't come in with preconceived notions on what that might be. Yeah. I mean, this sounds like an exercise of solidarity and practice. Like you're saying, you don't 
come in with the answers to do this for, but it begins in a real way with being accommodated to, learning about, listening to, and then, as you've said a number of times already, partnering with. And so perhaps in that way, it's an exercise in solidarity that leads to subsidiarity, right? Is there a sense of that? I mean, to use that language as Catholic social teaching language, of course, is there is there a way in which those kind of principles, that kind of investment has been consciously part of the work that you do? Yeah, I absolutely love that. I love thinking about it through that lens because that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're not perfect by any means. Mm-hmm. You know, there are moments where, you know, sure, members of our U.S. team will say, yeah, we're pretty sure we know the right way to do this, <laughs> you know, but as much as we can, absolutely, we try to be as intentional as we can and, and to really walk in solidarity with, with our patients, but also with our staff, you know, the medical providers who are down in Honduras and Dominican working as hard as they can, you know, every single day. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's a great lens to look, to look through for this. So for people like myself who don't have any kind of medical expertise, sometimes people call me a doctor, but I can provide no services in that way, I assure you. What are some of the ways in which we could support the work that you're doing could perhaps be involved? What are some of the ways for people like me without the requisite skills? Well, well, you know, we'll always take donations. There you go. <laughs> to, help, uh, right. to help fund the work. Absolutely. Always looking for, for financial support as well as donated product. If you happen to come across medical supplies, equipment, you know, things that you think we might be able to use we can, of course, take a look and, and go from there. But you're welcome to get involved and actually go down to Honduras, the Dominican. As I was mentioning, there's, there's a lot of work to go around. It, it might not be what you expected. It might be filing charts. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it might literally be filing charts. But doing that allows our clinical team to do the work that they do to serve our patients. So yeah, charts always need organizing. There's cleaning. <laughs> there's so many bags of garbage. I think there's a bag of garbage for every surgery we do. We try to limit that, of course, but you know, it, it is what it is. So yeah. there's lots of work to be done on the ground. And then just listening, I would say there's a lot of people who come down and just spend time with our patients, you know, for those who are bilingual and able to, to have those conversations, to hear people's stories. Sometimes our patients are coming in and no one's ever listened to them or nobody's ever asked them what they're going through. And and oftentimes there's a lot more than just the physical ailment, right? And, yeah. and they've been through some sort of trauma. Yeah. They've been through some sort of kind of horrible situation. So some of our volunteers, and you'd, you'd be very good at this. If we could get your, do you speak Spanish? Right? No, no, sorry. Well, you, you, I, read, just, I, read, I read languages that would not be helpful about that. <laughs> well, just sitting in solidarity with her patients, I think goes a long way. Yeah. And they walk away thinking, you know, hey, I came in for a broken bone and I'm leaving just feeling completely rejuvenated and and restored hope. Yeah. Well, on your website, I've noticed that you have a whole section of various stories, some of them in written form, some written by volunteers or staff members, some written by patients, and then you have some video stories. So like you're talking about here, the stories are a huge part of what you're doing. Maybe we could close, if you wouldn't mind, could you share with us one of your stories of an encounter of a person, of an experience through, well, you've got a lot of a lot of years to pull on now from any time. So the door is open, but if you wouldn't mind sharing with us one of your stories, that would be a lovely way to wrap this up. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly quite a few that I can think of, but one in particular that was one of my first patients back in 2011 when I first got started. And and again, I didn't really know what I was getting into. Mm-hmm. I didn't quite understand Honduran culture, barely spoke the language, didn't 
understand all the barriers that come into play when it comes to healthcare and specialty care. And so this patient, his name was Yvonne, and of course I won't share the last name, but he was wonderful. He lived in one of the nearby communities close to the surgery center, and his surgery was very simple. It was a, an issue he had with his knee that was going to take us, you know, half an hour to resolve, and and then he could go on his way. He actually had fallen out of a a tree picking fruit, something so simple, mm. and couldn't walk. He had constructed his own crutch out of you know whatever material he could find, and I worked really hard to get this patient scheduled. We, and we did the surgery, and everything went well. And he's sitting in the waiting room. After surgery, you know, discharged, completely discharged. And he's looking at me and I'm like, you're free to go. You know, you're good. <laughs> and he's like, I, I don't have a way home. I don't know how to get home. There's no one with me. I mm. don't have transport. I don't know what to do. And, and I, again, I'm young and just jumping into this and didn't quite understand that um, you have to think about those things, all the things yeah. that surround healthcare. Um, it's not just the surgery, you have to do more. And so I turned to our founder, Dr. Daly, and I said, what are we going to do? And he goes, well, I'll grab the keys. Let's get in the truck. Let's go. Uh-huh. Let's get this patient home. So we, sure enough, we got Yvonne in the car and loaded up and started driving. This is the surgeon who had yeah. just spent however many hours that day right. on the surgery was now the chauffeur yeah. for this patient. So we get to his community and sure enough, the car couldn't get up the hill because it didn't have a road. And so I look again at Dr. Daly and he said, all right, let's put his arms around our shoulders and carry him up this hill. So wow. we, we literally carried this patient to his home and we get there. And again, it just struck me things that I was so naive and not realizing his, his home was a couple pieces of metal, you know, kind of leaned up against each other and his kids run out, you know, so excited to see him. And I was just distraught because I was feeling like we brought him all the way home and, and I'm like, what is this? But I realized that is his home and his kids excited to see him and him being able to walk again and you know, that's just going to do so much for that family that you don't even realize when you're doing one surgery, but it it really ripples out. And at the end of the day, that's his home and that's where he lives. And he was thrilled. He was mm. thrilled to be there and he was happy to be healed. And that was also a lesson in just servant leadership to see our founder carry this patient up the hill after a day of surgery. So Wow. What a story. Yeah. Friends, yeah. I've been talking today to Kate Clithrow, Senior Director of Programs and Operations for One World Surgery. You can find out more about One World Surgery at their website, oneworldsurgery.org. Kate, thanks so much for spending this time with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Happy to, to share a little bit about our work. And thank you to all of you for joining us on Church Life Today. Church Life Today is a production of Spoke Street Media and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.